day to everybody that's listened to the show. Welcome to the Leo Roundtable Law Enforcement Talk Show. My name is Chip DeBlock, and I'm your host. So we are a group of law enforcement professionals that talk about today's news and issues, but the twist is, is that we do it from a law enforcement perspective. And let me go ahead and introduce our, our crew to you. We have a very special guest on today. Yes, he is ter- nicknamed by his own fan club as the Terminator. Is Corporal David D'Agresta. and David- De-escalator. De-escalator. What I say? De- you said Terminator. She's really oh, oh, well, Freudian slip. Wow. Well, thanks for correcting me, David. Anyhow, I like, I like my nickname better. But anyhow, uh, whether it's the Terminator, de-escalator, it results in the same the same action. Okay. But anyhow, uh, David, thanks for being on the show. David is retired from a police department and from a sheriff's office, so he's got a dual perspective there. It makes it pretty interesting. Also, a shout out to our sponsors. We have Motion DSP, calls gunlearn.com, mymedicare.live, and we are fueled by Bang Energy. Yes, today I'm on the Raging uh, Raspberry Hibiscus. I have a new uh, drop off from Bang. I think it's going to be tomorrow. So I'm looking forward to uh, getting that to find out what they're going to be, uh, g- be giving us here. Hopefully, we'll get some of that protein uh, stuff for you, David. That'd be nice. Hey, uh, shout out to. Uh, Brian Burns for the free press. Thanks for carrying our content. Ray Dietrich, huge shout out. You know, we're streaming the eight locations right now. Three of those are Facebook pages for the Red Voice Media platform. And they've got about a million followers on those three Facebook pages. So thanks so much, Ray Dietrich and Red Voice Media. Guys, great lineup. Good topics t- uh, today. And, you know, when David and I do it, and David, David's great. He always makes himself available. And, and we're able to cover a lot of material and get right down to the nuts and bolts of it. And again, you're hearing things from a law enforcement perspective. And yes, because neither one of us are active. We were talking about this before the show. Uh, David can talk as is without fear of repercussion. I think it's fairly safe that you don't have to worry about repercussion from anybody, even your, maybe even your, maybe your wife on a few things, but that's about it, David, right? Gosh, I hope. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> All right. So look, uh, let's start with our first topic. It's going to be a main topic. They have a tendency to be a little bit deeper. It's on policeone.com. Ken Wallentine wrote this article. And, and look, we're huge fans of Chief Wallentine. Does the five-second rule apply to extending a traffic stop to permit a dog sniff? Now, look, you guys know I love anything involving dogs, right? This is an interesting uh, tool. And look, if you guys watch our show, we want to make you guys among the smartest people in the room when it comes to these, uh, to the news and the topics from a law enforcement perspective, especially our active Leos. Sometimes the first time, you know, you guys will hear about a change the law or maybe a Supreme Court, you know, ruling on something uh, is is the show, which we, which we, we love being able to provide you with this information. So there's a court case tied to this. It's called the United States versus Hayes. That's H-A-Y-E-S. And so just uh, the nuts and bolts of this, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but we got Neil Hayes argued that an officer unreasonably prolonged a traffic stop to pursue an investigation into drug trafficking unrelated to the original purpose of the stop, which is how it usually happens, right? You don't really pull people over for suspected drug trafficking, right? You've got something else that you get them going on. So he claimed that the Rodriguez issue thus turns on the legal and factual significance of the five seconds between 436 and 441 in the stop on the body cam video. And that's the time between the officer's advisement that Hayes is being detained and then the dog actually alerting. That's a five-second gap. So Hayes was relying on the rule of Rodriguez versus United States that a stop may last no longer than is necessary to effectuate the initial purpose of the stop. Authority for the seizure thus ends when the tasks that are tied to the original traffic infraction are or reasonably should have been completed. So that's what the law says. The court issued a decision that means that all three appellate judges agreed on the outcome, 
The short decision merely states that the judges concluded that the detaining officer, he did not violate Hayes' Fourth Amendment rights on the case. Uh, but then they kind of break it down just briefly. In Rodriguez, the Supreme Court considered a seven to eight minute delay. So that's quite a bit more than this four, this four second that we're talking about here. But a seven to eight minute delay contrasted with the alleged what, five second delay in this case. The rule for Rodriguez remains valid. A stop for a traffic violation may take the time necessary to determine whether to issue a traffic ticket and to check the driver's license, determine whether or not there's any outstanding warrants against the driver, and inspecting the automobile's registration and the proof of insurance. So you have, you're allocated a reasonable amount of time in order to accomplish all those things. Extending the stop beyond that amount of time requires an independent reason to further detain the driver. You need additional, additional justification. The takeaway from United States versus Hayes, though, uh, in this particular case we're talking about, the courts may be open to some truly minimal, negligibly burdensome delay and may acknowledge that Rodriguez does not prohibit all conduct that in any way slows the officer from completing the stop as fast and as humanly possible in the name of efficiency. So that's what they that's what they have here. So anyhow, the bad guy did not win on this one. Corporal David. Yeah, I call this cop common sense. Um, it's it's not something that takes a whole lot of, of, of doing on the street. If you're involved in a task force, we'll say, that is doing drug interdiction on an interstate, 95, 75 coming through Florida, I-10 coming from, from the West Coast or coming from Mexico across the Gulf Coast, we're all very well-known um, trafficking corridors where they transported uh, amounts of money and drugs and whatnot from Mexico to Florida, Florida, New York, and and like 75 up toward Chicago, the whole nine yards. It was well documented um, by a number of different agencies, federal and local. So you're involved in a task force of some sort. You're doing drug interdiction on the interstate. You're doing traffic stops. Um, and the traffic stop entails on a regular basis, like, they, like uh, Ken said, a, a, a driver's license check, uh, the registration, insurance, and uh, verifying that those all those three things are valid and uh, up to date. And then whatever you stop the vehicle for, whether you're going to issue a citation, a warning, uh, written, all that sort of stuff. The only thing that that I saw having being any issue whatsoever in this entire uh, situation is when they, you know, the reasoning, what was the reason for them putting this driver into handcuffs? Um but it wasn't really addressed in the article. The court didn't have a problem with it. Uh, there must have been some reason that they did it. That was not, never came up as being a question. So, okay, that's a, a, a non-issue. But if you're coordinating any of these things, it becomes, as you can see, a very important thing to do to have everybody working in concert. So as the officer makes the traffic stop, he makes the initial contact with the driver, gets the information as he's walking back to his car, the canine should be walking up to the car at that instant and doing the loop and then away so that there's never any issue as to the amount of time that the the initiating officer takes to do those steps <clears throat> that he can then testify. These are the steps that I do on every single traffic stop. we got to ask our boy Frank um, down in Pinal County, and I guarantee you, being on a traffic squad, he has a very – very set routine that he goes through on a traffic stop that takes a, a certain amount of time that he knows what it is so that it, it so that if something develops, he can work within that time frame to allow that that other investigation to go forward. Guaranteed. 
So um, that's the only thing that I saw was, you know, they a little bit of jumbling at first, and then the canine comes up and does the loop. But still, canine cop common sense, a couple of seconds here, a couple of seconds there, there's not going to be an issue with the court. If you talk about beyond that 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes, okay, now we have a problem. But that, no, that, I never saw an issue with this. Um, the article, of course, Ken is always right on the mark with, with his articles 99.9% .9 of the time. Um, I agree with what he, the way he, he breaks these things down. And they, they, they did a good job on the street. And, and, and in this case, the end result was the, the, the end result was the proof that they had their, all their stuff in a row with, with the amount of drugs that they seized, guns and the like. So they were on the mark. Yeah, one for the good guys. Hey, David, could you describe for our listeners who just aren't, you know, when you describe how when the cop's walking away from the car, he's going to go, he's running stuff on the computer, going to be writing a right. uh, citation or whatever. What what the dog, the purpose of the dog looping around the car and, and and how if it does have an alert, how it might signal the canine handler and what happens at that at that time, just in case they just don't, they just don't know well, what we're talking about. Well, the, the courts have established prob uh, that an alert by a, a trained, a certified drug detection canine is probable cause for a search of a vehicle. So the the, tra the initial traffic stop standard, you get pulled, a vehicle gets pulled over, the, the, the officer walks up to the car, this is why I pulled you over, this is who I am, this is what I'm doing, I need your driver's license, registration, proof of insurance, you know, I, this is why I pulled you over, okay, fine, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna go back. Then that officer generally goes back to their car and starts investigating the traffic stop at that moment if if the canine is is on scene which in this case it was uh walks up to the car and because it's a stop in a public place the 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 canine can by court by court authority walk around the vehicle and sniff that car now we saw in articles before where the where they had a problem when the canine got up and put his feet on the car. Do you remember that, that, that story where they yeah, where recently. The courts had a problem with that? So, but most of the time the canine guys are walking around the car and they're kind of, you know, um, pointing or, or um, encouraging the canine to sniff along the exterior of the vehicle without jumping up on it or causing any damage or, or anything like that. The canine or walks press, around. Trespassing. Right. And not that I agree with that. I don't, didn't agree with that, that decision, but nonetheless, the canine walks around the car and usually will will alert the handler in some form of behavior. A lot of times it's a sit and they look at the handler like, I found it. It's right here. Or it could be a bark. Um, any different behaviors that have been trained into that dog to show the handler that I found the thing that you have trained me to find. Um, and then the handler then, because he's been certified by the courts, that this dog knows what he's, knows what he's talking about, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> and then the the handler says, hey, he alerted on the car for narcotics. And at that point, it's been established by the courts that it, that, that establishes your probable cause to then exit those people out of the car, search the vehicle, and anything found is admissible as evidence in court. Excellent breakdown, David. Thank you so much, Corporal. Hey, guys, it's time for our first commercial break. But, hey, we have some great stuff coming up. So stay with us. Commercial break. We'll be right back. You know, Motion DSP, they have been supporting the law enforcement profession for over 15 years through their, their robust suite of video and audio redaction and enhancement software. The Motion DSP software 
Easy to use, requires no specialized training or expertise. And you can save valuable time with Spotlight's one-click automating tracking feature and forensic suite of enhancement filters, achieving results quickly in just three steps. That's import, process, and export. Now, Spotlight is built specifically for redaction, designed to work with video from any camera source, and using Motion DSP's algorithms and object tracking technology, it automates the process of blurring faces and other identifiable information, saving users countless hours compared to manual frame-by-frame redaction. And with forensic enhancement software, that allows users to quickly process and analyze any video file format using patented super resolution algorithms and enhancement filters to reveal an unseen level of detail. You can actually get forensically valid evidence from low-quality video in just minutes instead of hours. Learn more about all these products, motiondsp.com. Let's talk about Medicare insurance options. There's over 80 options in just Hillsborough County alone. Now, the benefits can change annually. So how do you know that you're getting the benefits for your specific health care needs? The answer is simple. Contact MyMedicare.Live or call area code 813-245-6656, especially if you're in the Tampa Bay area. Talk to James or Bobby. Meet with them in person. They'll save you money on your medication co-pays. Find plans that your doctors accept and get more of the benefits that you qualify for. So again, MyMedicare.Live. Okay, guys. Welcome back to the Leo Roundtable Law Enforcement Talk Show. My name is Chip DeBlock, and we are broadcasting live from the Bostock Radio Studios in Plant City, Florida. So, uh, David, have we exhausted the last topic? Were you ready, ready to move on to an update? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. I, I just wanted to add a, a quick disclaimer. Um, the, the stuff that I described, of course, is very generalized and can be affected by s- various state laws in different states around the country as well as any uh, legal precedents that get, that have gotten set in those jurisdictions. So understand that when, when you hear that description, you, you, you're listening to that description, that um, it's, it's very generalized in, in the way that I that I gave it. And procedures of departments, what they allow their canines to do or not to do. We talked about California talking about taking canines out of, of right. that type of service. So it all depends on the jurisdiction you're in for some uh, subtle differences in that very generalized description, but overall, uh, the rest of it's good. All right. Perfect. Good deal. Well, look, let's jump to police one and, uh, we've got another story from them. And look, this one's we know, uh, Tony McBride, we've covered her extensively. We've had her attorney on our show a, a number of times, a top shot LAPD officer sues the chief and the department over social media demand. Now, this is kind of an interesting twist too, because we normally talk about cops don't be on social media. But this is this is it's it's this is a, a very interesting twist. And, and you know, David, I got to admit, I, I'm I'm kind of surprised the agency because she is such a positive reflection on LAPD. And let's face it, LAPD has not always had the the most positive things appearing in the in the in the news media about them. Uh, so listen to the story, guys, and let us know what you think. And we've actually, you know, we're streaming the eight locations. We've got a lot of commentary going on on the side that David and I are, are looking and reading right now. But so LAPD officer, who is you know, Tony McBride, uh, whose sharpshooter social media posts drew widespread attention after she was involved in a fatal shooting, which that's true, filed a discrimination and retaliation lawsuit on Tuesday against police chief Michael Moore and the department. Now, the uh, officer, Tony McBride, alleges that Chief Moore blocked her promotions because she refused to remove her social media feeds and videos of her shooting at competitions and training at firing ranges. So in the lawsuit filed in federal court, Officer Officer McBride claims that Chief Moore told her that she had to delete her social media accounts or he would destroy her career. Man, I hope that's not true. I I believe her, though, but I, I just I hope it's not true. 
And look, in the video and her channel, when I see her, you know, she's not in uniform. I mean, she's just in plain clothes doing shooting competitions. It's a great advertisement for females in the, in the agency. But McBride, who's seeking more than $5 million in damages, has been on medical leave since November due to severe physical symptoms caused by and exasperated by the stress, according to the lawsuit. Her social media posts garnered attention in 2020 after she shot a 38-year-old man that was holding the box cutter, and she shot him six times, and she killed him. Now, and we covered that extensively on the show. In fact, there was even some agreement, or disagreement from, I think, Attorney Ward on shots five and six. And it says Officer McBride and her partner have been responding to a collision and involving uh, several uh, severely uh, badly injured motorists whose vehicles have been struck by a drunk, by I guess by a, by a truck that was driven by Daniel Hernandez. A toxicology report found that Hernandez, our bad guy, had methamphetamine in the system at the time. Officer McBride repeatedly told him to drop the weapon. I think he had a knife. And when Hernandez advanced towards her, she shot him twice. Now, remember, there's six shots. So the first two shots, she shoots him. And uh, then she ends up firing another two shots when he attempts to get up. And then finally, two more shots, five and six, as he's rolling around on the ground. And uh, I remember the backdrop. There were a lot of civilians there. And after the shooting, she told investigators that she felt Hernandez posed a risk to bystanders in the area. I thought it was very believable. Los Angeles Police Commission found her uh, that she broke department policy by continuing to shoot Hernandez during the fatal encounter. The commission found that her first four shots were justified, but they did not think that shots five and six were. The California Attorney General, uh, Rob Bonta's office, cleared her of any wrongdoing based in part on the expert opinion of a controversial police use of force consultant. And Bonta's office took over the review of the shooting after the former uh, L.A. County District Attorney Jackie Lacey recused herself. And the recusal came because McBride's father, uh, Jamie McBride, he's one of the directors for the Los Angeles Police Protective League. That's their union. And uh, they had uh, used Lacey's uh they were involved with Lacey's campaign and stuff. So that's all That's all on the up and up, and they did the right thing by the recusal. The uh, younger Officer McBride, she earned the shot, uh, the top shot in the LAPD Police Academy, which was the youngest in her class when she graduated at, at only 20 years old. That's impressive. She said in a lawsuit that she has competed and won target shooting competitions all over the country, which she regularly chronicled on her social media accounts, and I verify that. In the lawsuit, her attorney said that it was not the Hernandez shooting that caused her the grief from the chief, uh, but it was her career, van- you know, and her career advancement opportunities. Chief Moore told Officer McBride that he wanted her to cease posting videos on social media. According to the lawsuit, he said that Officer McBride needed to choose between being an LAPD officer or posting social media videos. Uh, wow. So that's that's what we have. Finally, McBride contends her poster are uh, virtually identical to dozens of videos posted regularly by male police officers. And Chief Moore told her that he didn't like the image they present, according to the lawsuit. So there you have it. That's the whole article. Corporal David, what do you think? Good Lord. Thanks, Chris Madison, by the way, uh, for the donation um, or support. The, um, you know, the, the, the high points. Her father is one of nine directors of the powerful Los Angeles Police Protective League, the union that represents rank file officers. Yeah, check number one. Um, and the <laughs> fact that she... Uh, that she was involved in a shooting that the attorney general found was no wrongdoing on her part, but the, the garbage about the, the, the last two shots, you're, you're in a situation like this and the last two shots are, are bad. The, the others are good. And y- yeah, no, uh, check number two. So the, the bottom line is you, you have a chief of police in LA in the LA uh, police department that is, you know, virtue sig- signaling, if you want to call it that, uh, this this junk about a, a female police officer who knows her or does her stuff. I mean, she knows her stuff. She's a competitive shooter. What 
you you're you don't want to promote that and and promote females uh competent females joining the police I, it's again just odd and i will go back to the same thing again and say get out take your skill your professionalism your abilities and take them elsewhere where you will be appreciated for what you do and what your capabilities and skills are it's just absolutely horrible and and they wonder why they can't hire anybody we're going to have another article coming up about you know other agencies asking people to come back out of retirement hello it's is there any doubt what the problem is it's stupidity uh, Tony, we're sorry you have to go through this. We feel for you, and we've got your back. Look, uh, time for another commercial break. Guys, stick with us. It gets better. We'll be right back. All right, guys, it's time to talk about Gauls at Gauls.com slash Leo. And look, hopefully by now you guys know who Gauls is. They're the country's leading uniform clothing, equipment, and gear provider for law enforcement. They have a variety of offerings, everything from multi-tools and flashlights to duty belts and tactical gear. And as Captain Brett Bartlett always says, you know, they pretty much have everything but guns and ammunition. So, uh, look, if you have a friend, family, loved one that's involved in law enforcement, what a cool place to go and get some really great gear. I mean, pretty much almost everything they carry in their duty belt can be replicated at Gauls at Gauls.com slash Leo. They have gift cards. They have some great things that you can get. And, hey, their uniform program is second to none. Even my uh, and David's old agency, because David did work at Tampa Police Department where he first retired. Look, they've got a Gauls uniform office right smack in police headquarters, and they're doing a jam-up job from what I understand. So whether it's uniforms or cool gear, go to galls.com slash Leo and check them out, and you'll be very, very glad that you did. All right, guys, welcome back to the Leo Roundtable Law Enforcement Talk Show, live from the Boss Hawk Radio Studios in Florida. You know, uh, David, I remember uh, I remember growing up in law enforcement, LAPD being like the cream of the crop, don't you? I mean, you know, they were considered one of the best agencies across, you know, in the, in the United States way back. Well, biggest, one of the biggest, you know, L.A. and and, and New York were those uh, benchmark agencies that were just so big and so um, encompassing. Remember, they had everything. They had everything. Even, all, all the toys. Even Corporal Dale Hyder, remember he left Tampa to go all the way out to L.A. PD to join their agency. And it wasn't it wasn't everything that was cracked up to be when he got there and he came back and he went yeah. to HCSO, I think. Yeah. It is what it is. Like I said, it's 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 all the same no matter where you go. Crime's the same no matter where you go. It's just, it's all it's all a, a a percentage a percentage game. But but I guess what the 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 the, the I guess the the argument I'm making on behalf of Tony McBride is that when you have an officer like her that shines, I mean, look, she's easy in the eyes. I mean, look, she garners a lot of attention from, you know, from social media, but it's all a positive reflection of the agency. Not that she throws it out there. These are shooting competitions. I mean, look, there's a, uh, there's a, a Glock girl that, uh, that does it. She's not law enforcement, but you know, that she does the same thing. I mean, if I was a chief, man, I would kill to have someone like that um, have a positive reflection on my agency. I mean, you want to, you want to promote, you know, females and law enforcement and what better way to do that and then have someone like able to kick it like her. I mean, what I bet she can outshoot almost all the guys on her department. And then she's finally in a, in a use of force situation where deadly force is required. And she does what I consider the right thing. And she's and I think all of her I think all six shots landed on target, which is like unheard of yeah, in law enforcement. Absolutely. And the shots five and six. There were civilians around that bad guy rolling on the ground, and I will point out that he was being non-compliant. She told him what to do. He was still refusing after being shot four times. If she wouldn't have put bullets five and six on that guy as he's rolling around 
within extremely close proximity to at least two civilians. I remember from from watching the video, you know, that he could have uh, he could have you know cut or hurt or damaged. And and you only have to be in fear of a, a great bodily harm. You know, it doesn't have to be death to some to you or someone else. So I think completely justified. And I think that's why she was cleared. You know, by the DA, regardless of what the department might think. So yeah, this, it, like I said, it, obviously obviously personal issues um, from the chief and it's unfortunate. It's just unfortunate that it just, it, it can, it shows the, the degradation of those once great departments or once yeah. uh, cutting edge departments. They, they are no longer um, They're They're both, or a lot of them, uh, all of them are in uh, incredible decline and um, ineffective, uh, not respected um it's just a, a bad place to be sorry yeah too bad too bad she's not here in florida well look um moving along let's let's hop on the rumble and and guys look i think the best uh, law enforcement video channel out there is this is butter and they're at rumble.com and for our radio and podcast listeners we'll describe in great detail what's going on so you don't feel like you're missing out on anything so this very first story it's green bay police officer to be charged after a vehicle hits a suspect turn to chase Now, David does talk about this a lot. And and look, you know, when you're using lethal force, no one says it has to be a firearm, right, David? I mean, so so a Green Bay police officer is expected, he's expected to be charged in connection with his actions. It was during a traffic stop. It happened in 2021, so a couple years ago. The police department says that Officer Matthew Nutson, that's K-N-U-T-S-O-N, he is a 13-year veteran of the department. He makes a traffic stop at the city's southeast side in November 2021. A 47-year-old Green Bay man is pulled over for failure to yield the right of way. So Officer Nutson is expected to be charged with a felony count, felony of misconduct in public office and a misdemeanor charge of negligent operation of a vehicle. And the police chief out there, it's Chief Chris Davis. So October of 2022, Brown County District Attorney's Office notified the police of concerns about Nutson's actions during the traffic stop. But notice, I'm talking about the District Attorney's Office doing this in October of 2022. So that's there's a, there's a there's a time delay here. So Chief Davis says the police department began an internal investigation. He's not sure why it took the department almost a year to become aware of the situation. So the police department began an internal investigation, IA, comparing uh, body cam and dash cam videos to Nutson's official reports. The initial investigation uncovered that there were problems on how Nutson's patrol vehicle hit the suspect during a foot chase, forcing the suspect to the ground. And again, this is about a year later. So according to online Court records: The suspect was charged with resisting or obstruction, uh, obstructing an officer, and operating while revoked on the night of the incident. So the charges were later dismissed, though, in October 2022, about a week before the the uh, police IA investigation. Brown County District Attorney David Lessie uh, said that the charges were dropped as part of the resolution of several cases involving the suspect. As for Officer Nutson, he was previously suspended for 30 days in tw- back in 2018 after an investigation of the bullying and harassment within the police department. I'm sure that would make for an interesting story. Officer Nutson was placed on paid administrative leave on October 22nd because of this thing that we're talking about today and still remains on leave as the investigation is ongoing. So that's what we have. David, you saw the video. What do you think? Yep. Um, unfortunately, you know, as much as I am a fan of using your police vehicle as a tool, uh, to use it in this manner, um, requires, unfortunately, the the the, uh, the ability to articulate the need for deadly force because that's what it is. 
You cannot use a 4,000 pound vehicle in a manner that is not going to be considered very, the, to have the potential to cause great bodily harm or death. So that's deadly force. But, but I would say that this guy needs to call uh, the current president of the United States as a witness because that <laughs> idiot said, why don't you shoot him in the leg? So you should shoot people in the leg or the arm or the hand. Not why you shoot him in the chest. You shouldn't do that. So he's proclaiming that you can use a deadly force tool, a gun, in a non-deadly force way. So if the president says you could do it with a gun, I say you can do it with a car. And if you watch the video, this guy was very, very gentle with the car. He just barely bumped the guy just to knock him off his feet. Very slow speed, all that kind of stuff. That's an interesting take. Now, as the liberals are out there pulling their hair out, going, how can you come up with this stuff? Just understand what I said in the beginning of this. But when you talk about the theories that some of these idiots have come up with in the past, using deadly force tools in a non-lethal way by shooting people in the legs or the hands or the arms or whatever, shoot the gun out of his hand, all that kind of garbage. If you can do it with a gun, you can do it with a car. Have can't a have nice it both day. ways, right? Right. Don't, don't, but, don't say that on one side of your mouth. Yeah. Yeah, but the problem is, the reality of it is, as we know, the thing about the the gun, the usage of a firearm is BS and stupid. On the same vein, you can't use a vehicle in a as a tool to take someone into custody, knock them down, stop them from running, because it's going to be considered a, a, a use of, de- of potentially lethal force. So, unfortunately, this guy is going to take a burn over this. How badly, I don't know, but... Um, that's going to be a tough one to go to overcome. Perhaps, perhaps. Well, we'll we'll, uh, we'll keep watching um, the news cycle on this. Moving along, we're still on Rumble. This is Butter Still the Channel, so there's a video component to this, to this news story as well. Oxford Police, they fatally shoot an 18-year-old armed with a knife after failed attempts with less lethal. And, uh, you know, I remember recently we had one where uh, a less lethal beanbag was was successfully used for the very, very first time because all the other videos that we've covered on the show, it's just led up to having a lethal force encounter, you know, from a firearm, right? So so this police officer shot and killed 18-year-old brandishing a knife around 6 o'clock on Friday night. So the Oxford police officers responded to the area following a report of a person brandishing and threatening residents with a knife. So definitely not a good situation. Uh, so once the cops get there, they locate an 18-year-old man inside a green truck, which belonged to a resident that had not given the man permission to enter the vehicle. So we got burglary Renato, right? So according to police, after five minutes of verbal commands, five minutes of verbal commands, wow, uh, to exit the car, the man exits the truck and approaches the four officers and one patrol sergeant with a knife in his left hand. So as the man continues to approach the officers, and look, there's there's video of this all over the place, but the patrol, the sergeant is the one that fires a taser, doesn't work. I mean, as far as it's not effective against the bad guy. And after that, you have another officer that fires a beanbag round from a less lethal shotgun, and it causes our bad guy to fall to the ground. So when the man returns to his feet, 
He's in close proximity to police officers, and one of them fires their department-issued handgun, and now he goes to the ground and is pronounced dead. So that's the way this goes down. We got two uh, less lethals used before the uh, before the deadly Corporal David. Um. Yeah. I. You know. I, they got the job done, and this guy was. I mean, if you want the definition of tweaking, th- this guy was not twerking, tweaking. <laughs> this guy was. I mean, you looked at his face, and I mean, he was just wow out of it tweaking knife in his hand i don't think he could have followed commands if if he wanted to he was so high and and out of it but again not the cops problem i I didn't like the happy feet that the cops were getting jockeying around and everybody switching positions and and moving back and forth and here and there guys you got this guy pinned in a spot keep him there utilize your less left less lethal backed up with lethal and get the job done. I mean, there was a couple of times when there was potential crossfire, you name it. In the end, they got it done, but it sure it wasn't very, it wasn't very pretty. Thanks, Corporal. Guys, another commercial break, but we will be right back. All right, so look, no matter how much you know about guns and ammunition, there's that knowledge gap that leaves you confused and missing the complete picture. Gunlearn.com, they've taken the confusion out of learning and they've made it easy. Gunlearn.com is the first and it's the only company that offer a step-by-step program where they take you from your present knowledge level to become a safe, accurate, and competent certified firearm specialist. Now, they provide citations from federal law and ATF rulings for every point taught to ensure accuracy, and their training is approved by major forensic organizations, by law enforcement agencies, and firearm manufacturers. Since 1996, they've taught everything that LEOs, law enforcement officers, need to know about firearms and ammunition to all facets of law enforcement. Now, you can start today with online training, or you can register to attend a live seminar. And you can actually get free training for yourself and the personnel of your agency by hosting a seminar at absolutely no cost. So come aboard as one of the most firearm knowledgeable people in the world by joining the folks at gunlearn.com. All right, guys, welcome back to the Leo Roundtable Law Enforcement Talk Show live from the Boss Hog Radio Studios in Plant City, Florida. Uh, David, did we uh, exhaust the last topic? You ready to move on? Yeah, just a, just one more small disclaimer on that last one. Um, as high as that guy was on on, on my guess was was meth. Um, your your less lethal or non lethal whatever is going to have absolutely no effect on this guy. Uh, granted, they it's California, so they had to go through the the motions of shooting this guy with a with a beanbag. Which my my comment was, you hit him once, you went down. Why don't you keep hitting him uh, with the hit him again, shoot him again with a beanbag? It, it, it would have done no good. He he the way he was skipping and jumping and flipping out, he. Your your less lethal is going to is not going to be effective, and you're going to be stuck either going hands on, not with a knife, or using lethal to to stop that threat. So that's what it came down to. All right, thanks, Corporal. Look, uh, moving. Uh, and this is the one that David wanted to cover. You know, on Police One. Uh, yeah, well, a lot of stuff on Police One today. San Diego Police Department. They are asking former officers to return to the force. Wow, maybe they should get a hold of Tony McBride and steal her from LAPD. I don't know. So uh, in San Diego, there's an effort to correct, to correct. <laughs> I love the way they start this off, David. So they're going to correct the problem, right, by asking uh, the guys that left because things weren't good in the first place to come back. So in an effort to correct a widespread staffing shortage, the San Diego Police Department has sent a letter to the former officers, the ones that left, encouraging them to come back and work again for the department. So in early April, a letter was reportedly sent to former police officers asking them to, quote, consider again being part of the team, <laughs> unquote, and to be a part of the police department that is dedicated to serving and collaborating with our community. This is according to the NBC San Diego. 
The letter states that incentives to return include a 5% pay raise in 2023 uh, and 24. COVID vaccines are no longer required, which I'm sure is why some of them left. And opportunities are available in K-9, in SWAT, and other specialized assignments. Now, the department lost 241 police officers last fiscal year and a 51% increase from the year prior to that. A total of 138 officers have already left this year. So Jared Wilson, he's the president of the San Diego Police Officers Association. He told NBC San Diego that the main reason officers are leaving is due to low morale and a lack of support from top leadership. And here's what, listen to this. Here's what he says. You need to reach out to the people who left the profession and ask them why they left and ask them what conditions would change in order to entice them to come back. And uh, uh, Paul uh, Capitelli, a retired sheriff's department captain and police uh, one contributor, said that his sense is that they're not going to have a, a groundswell of people that are willing to come back and say, hey, great, I'm going to come back for an extra five or 10 percent because, you know, of the reasons why they left in the first place. So Corporal David. Yeah, this goes hand in hand with the the last the article about uh, the female officer there in at, for L.A. police. It's it's how much can you do? Let's let's sit around the staff meeting and, and try to come up with ways to run people off. I mean, is that's what's is that what is happening, um, or happened? And you have articles like this that just show you the other side of that coin, where agencies are now jurisdictions are now begging people to come back, offering incentives, please anything. And Capitelli's right. You need to look in the mirror and find out what you did to drive these people away first. Fix that. And then maybe you'll get people to want to do the job again. But getting somebody to come back out of retirement at this point, I mean, we've talked about it before. Police work is a, is, is a young man's game. Um, my brain tells me all the time, oh, you can do it. You can do it. Go. Get, you, ah. Yeah, no, I don't think so. I'm not taking that kind of a chance. Not at this point. So good luck to them. But they're going to they're gonna figure it out and learn one way or the other. And it's in, unfortunately, they're going to learn the hard way. Yeah. Tony McBride, I don't it wouldn't have made a difference whether you were at San Diego or LAPD. Um, the, the sad things, there's so many of these agencies in California, in Oregon um, and uh, in New York. And just I mean, it just goes it just goes on and on, unfortunately. So, yeah, I really feel blessed when we read these are these stories about uh, being here in, in Florida. And, uh, and and we're not perfect. We just have a great governor, you know, who kind of keeps a rain on everything. So. Uh, so there's no more comments on this. We'll uh, move, move on to the next one. We're actually getting some pretty good commentary from our from our streamers. So thanks, guys. Uh, uh, back on Rumble, this is Butter the Channel. Uh, man with a machete is fatally shot after attacking uh, Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department deputies in South L.A.
So, wow, we, David, we just can't get away from California today. So he has Los Angeles County Sheriff's Office deputies. They fatally shot a man who's allegedly armed with a machete in the Florence Graham neighborhood in South L.A. And this happened on a Wednesday morning. So deputies received reports of a guy armed with a machete. He's threatening employees at a business. When they get there, they're directed to a man that's walking south, and he's walking actually away from the businesses. Uh, and so uh, deputies, they find the guy uh, when they get up to him, I guess. They find him. Uh, He's uh, seated in a white Nissan pickup truck. He allegedly punches and kicks the deputies after they make contact with him. And then he retrieves a machete from inside the truck. And yeah, it doesn't get any better after that. So the guy allegedly, I say allegedly, look, there's a video of all the stuff going on. So the video component. So the man swings the machete at the deputies as he approaches them. And the deputies try to subdue him by using less lethal weapons. Remember, we're in California, as David pointed out. Now, with their use of force continuum, uh, you know that by statute they've got to go through all the jump through all these less uh, lethal uh, hoops before they use the lethal. Uh, but it, it, although they're doing all these less less, less lethal stuff, uh, it's ineffective. The man allegedly continues to approach the deputies, and that's when they shoot him. And the man was uh, described as 44 years old. He was shot at 6.55 in the morning. The deputy suffered minor injuries from being kicked and punched by the suspect. Uh, wow. David, your thoughts on this? Yeah, this is one of those situations where lack of arrest technique led to, in my opinion, led to this guy's shooting. You had two deputies, two, two deputies put hands on this guy. He's sitting in, they found him sitting in this vehicle. Two of them put hands on this guy, and he was able to beat them off, kick and punch and, and flail and all that, all that stuff in, in the doorway of, of his truck and, and fend them off so that they had to physically back away um, and take up a position outside or you know away from the vehicle, across the street from the vehicle, um, to try to get more people to help them. Then, of course, they go back. He's, you know, then all the less lethal stuff comes into play. Now we got to do this. Now we got to go all the, through all these gyrations, as you say, until he's finally the bad guy is finally had enough of getting hit with various things <laughs> and comes charging out of the truck with this machete. And they and they and they shoot him and kill him, which perfectly just justified, perfectly um, uh, appropriate. But you had a chance at the very beginning to end this. And your inability to go hands-on, your the agencies getting away from, oh, it's, we, we don't want to touch anybody. We don't want to put our hands on anybody. Uh, we can't do that. It looks so bad. We have to do all these other, you know, tasers and beanbags and, and, and pepper balls and, and, you know, flashing lights and, and microwave, it just garbage stuff that this is the way it ends because, the cops out there apparently either can't or not are not allowed to be police officers and put your hands on someone because in the end you have to put your hands on people. Period. You know, David, we haven't seen we haven't seen a lot of bowl of rap, have we? Oh, you know yeah. what I'm talking about that 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 bowl of rap that Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office bought like a hundred bowl of rap units for for a hundred deputies to uh, to start deploying as a uh, yeah. I guess it's considered a, a less lethal. Or I, I have no idea. The problem with, again, I don't care what it is. It doesn't matter what it is. You come up with every, anything you want to come up with. And it's 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 only going to be effective in very specific situations under very specific conditions and when it works perfectly. And that just doesn't happen um, in, in the real world. It just doesn't happen. It, and that's proven 
over and over and over and over again with every less lethal option that you can dream up in theory. And when you're sitting there at the Academy and you have someone standing there going, okay, do it. And it works. It, yes. Yeah. Technically they work, but the real world is, is dynamic, constantly moving, constantly shifting, heavy jackets, long pants, hats, you name it, it running, moving, jumping, spinning it. Sorry. It's just not a hundred percent. And if you can't get back to the basics of police work and put your hands on someone and take them under, take them in, get them into control and take them into custody. That is the basic premise of being able to do that. And if you can't do that, you're lost. Thanks David. Excellent show. All right, guys. So this part of the show and thank David so much for being here. I always give a shout out to Lieutenant Randy uh, Sutton. He couldn't be here for the day show, but he's retired Las Vegas Metro Police Department and he's the founder of the Wounded Blue at thewoundedblue.org. They help cops out in a world of hurt, everything from PTSD to maybe suffering from medical injuries. The department's not covering for them or maybe their agency does not have like a disability retirement they can take advantage of. And so they really are doing God's work among law enforcement. So if you're looking for a great 501c3 worthy of your uh, tax deductible donation, please consider the Wounded Blue at thewoundedblue.org, a, a fantastic organization. And uh, look, hopefully you guys enjoyed our stories. You know, um, next week I'm going to be on vacation. The whole staff is, but we're still going to be doing the live streams and we'll be on here conversing and stuff. So if you guys want to watch those, please do. Motion DSP, gallsgunlearn.com, mymedicare.live and Bang Energy. Thanks for the support. Also, another huge shout out, Ray Dietrich, Red Voice Media. Thanks for letting us stream to your three Facebook pages. Hope everybody has a wonderful and a safe week.